do something today and every day. Make sure you're doing something. Don't sit around. Don't sulk and, you know, say, poor me, I can't do this. You can do it. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 62, Gary Collins on Bike and Hike and the Primal Power Method. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I'm visiting with Gary Collins, and Gary Collins has a really interesting background. His main passionate adventure sport these days is what he calls bike and hike. He's been road biking and mountain biking for, wow, many, many years. He has tens of thousands of miles under his wheels, but he kind of has a fun approach to using a mountain bike to reach uh, really remote areas where he can continue on foot, and, and he has a different style and approach to mountain biking, which I think you'll find really interesting. Gary also brings us uh, some special knowledge about fitness and diet specifically. Gary worked for the FDA as a special agent for a couple of years and then for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, so he has more than 10 years with a health background. He has a degree in sports science and he is a promoter of what he calls the primal power method, which is a primal lifestyle. And so at the end, we're going to visit a little bit about how his approach to diet and health really helps with adventure sports and life in general. So, Gary, thank you very much for being on the show today, and welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me on. You bet. It's our pleasure. So, Gary, take a few minutes to fill in all the gaps about uh, your past and especially about your approach to uh, bike and hike. Yeah, um, briefly, I'll do my my quick version of uh, my background. I grew up in a very small town in the Sierra Nevada. Sierra Nevada is in California, about 1,800 people. So I grew up hunting, fishing, doing everything outdoors, climbing rocks, mountains, biking, you name it, we did it. And from there... Went into went to college, then in the military, and was uh, in naval intelligence, and then went from there, became a federal agent, special agent with uh, diplomatic security service with the U.S. State Department, and then from there decided uh, a transition. I'd always been passionate about health, played football, basketball, rode bikes, skateboarded. If it was outside, I was doing it, and uh, you know, went into the, the to law enforcement not kind of realizing my path with my passion for health and athletics would kind of cross uh, in that career. And it did because I left there and went to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where I did investigations on, you know, doctors, medical doctors, uh, medical clinics, big hospital chains, uh, nursing homes, healthcare fraud for grant fraud, uh, overbilling. It was very interesting to see the inside, especially the procedures, uh, that that doctors would do that you didn't need or prescribe uh-huh. drugs that you didn't need. It was very eye-opening, and that was kind of my introduction. And being a healthy guy, what it did is it actually scared me from going to doctors. So I didn't go to a, see a doctor for a couple years. No matter how sick I was, didn't matter. I just wouldn't go. I was afraid of them because I investigated them. And then from there, I went and worked for the Food and Drug Administration at the end of my career, and that gave me the insight 
into America's food and drug industry. So I called that one going from the frying, frying pan into the fire. Uh, right. That was it. And I had actually no, no faith in our food, drug, and medical system anymore. None. As I left, and I told myself as I left, I went, well, you know, I have to do something that's positive. You know, how do I turn this? So I changed my life by researching holistic health while I was in the FDA because we investigated a lot of holistic uh, health practitioners, uh, NDs, naturopath doctors, uh, organic food ranches. I mean, I got into all of it. Well, as I investigated them, I kind of went, hey, well, this stuff kind of makes sense. You know, and started changing my my paradigm of health, and realized I had some things fairly wrong, especially on the diet side. But I also want to include that even on the holistic side, there are bad people there too. Um, people think that um, I poo poo the med- you know, modern medicine and Western medicine. I'm more of a believer of melting both together in an integrative approach. Um, just because you're an ND or you're a holistic practitioner doesn't mean you're on the up and up either. And I warn people about that all the time. You know, I investigated just as many natural health people as I did on the modern medicine side. So it's always be careful. But yeah, that's how I kind of got into the primal lifestyle. And I've been biking forever. And uh, I got into my bike and hike approach some years ago on exploring. And also because I have uh, some mechanical issues. I've lived a pretty hard life with athletics, law enforcement, and the military. So I ended up having spinal fusion a little over four years ago. Wow. Uh, I had destroyed my lower back and had actually crushed one of the discs and pushed it into my stomach and was grinding the vertebrae down to nothing. Um, it was pretty bad. I, I was to the point where I was almost couldn't walk anymore and finally had to get just gave up and said, I, I'm just going to get this fixed. And that was a nice little 18-month to 24-month recovery period. Yeah, two years of your life trying to recover from that. So I had to learn. I had to relearn my body. And I had to relearn athletics. Uh, I dealt with the pain before, but I couldn't. And the reason I got into biking more, too, was because it was a relief. I couldn't, I couldn't run. I couldn't jog anymore. So my athletics revolved getting more into bikes because it was more low impact. Even though you're hunched over, it was painful, but it was less painful. It was a better alternative than sitting on the couch and, you know, turning into a 250-pound slug or something. So that's where it came from. And the bike and hike was kind of, I guess, kind of my own invention. I'm sure other people do it as well. But it's where I just basically, I ride my mountain bike in remote areas and push myself as far as I can. And then when I run out of trail, I go and hike. So I don't wear traditional mountain biking shoes or biking shoes. I wear hiking shoes. And I use straps instead of cages or click-ins on my mountain bike. And straps are more of kind of the freestyle thing and that kind of deal. But I use them because I can get in and out of them real easily and be able to get out of my bike and have the proper gear to go hike. The best part is I have my helmet on. So I don't even have to take my helmet off because if I'm going hiking or I'm in the rocks, I already got my head protection. So it works out real well and I have gloves. And that's how I actually explore it's a blast. I, I can't even explain how you do it because it's individual. It's how far you want to do it. And I don't even ride on mountain biking trails half the time. I just find a trail. I'll ride on animal paths, you know. I'll go on their tracks where they've carved into, you know, through the wilderness, and I'll ride my bike on it. So it kind of gives you a lot more uh, kind of range, I guess is the best way to put it, with your mountain bike. 
you can push it much further out there than most people would. Oh, that's that's a pretty cool approach. You know, I've found backpacking, if you're trying to get a large distance, then, you know, it's always a challenge because people, yep. let's let's face it, you know, we can do 20 or 25, maybe 30 miles a day if we're really aggressive, but that's that's pretty much a hard limit for backpacking. And if you uh, can get a mountain bike involved and do maybe uh, bike packing or bike in and then hike from there, like you're saying, then it allows you to get to places you otherwise just couldn't reach in it in the time that you have available. Yeah. And it's, you know, what's interesting is uh, I've been doing this for years, my own little style, and it's become really popular now. I read an article on it in Hunting Magazine that uh, now they're using the fat bike or fat tire mountain bikes, and they're rigging them up for hunters. And hunters are now using mountain bikes with fat tires to go hunting and get into remote areas. And I went, huh, interesting. I probably created that and didn't even know it. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's turned into something else now. It's turned into a practicality of hunting so they can cover more distance. And that's for me too. Hiking, I love doing it, but my back can only take so much. And so it's nice to be able to transition from the bike to hiking and back and forth because I can't do one or the other for super long periods of time. So it kind of gives my back a break and people go, well, mountain biking, how in the heck does that give your back a break? <sighs> and I, I ride full suspension and I have for a long time now. And that's the only way I can't ride a hardtail bike. Uh, it will kill me. It's just kind of working within your, you know, within your limits too. And that's what I like is I was able to create something in order to adapt to, to my physical limitations. And I think people will find that kind of exciting because I know there's a lot of people with back problems and I have found this works. Uh, don't get me wrong. It hurts. I mean, but anything hurts. I mean, you get screws and rods put in your back. Pain is just part of life. Um, but with that being said, you know, those screws and rods hold everything in place. So you're not going to do more damage by going out and riding a bike. You know, it, the damage is done. You've had it fixed. You know, you, what would do make it worse is going out and running 10 miles. That would make it worse. But biking, I've noticed, actually keeps everything kind of moving and, and helps out a lot. And for the mental side of it, especially, too, to be able to still get cardio in and get in, a, you know, get some miles underneath me. Well, that kind of leads to our next question. Why would you encourage people to do this? And I think the angle that we're headed here is we don't always stay young. You know, as our bodies change as we age, uh, we should remain active as much as we can for as long as we can. Adventure sports are so good for the soul as well as the health of the body. So uh, why would you encourage people to, to keep doing what they can do, and, and especially with this bike and hike approach? Well, and there's probably three three different answers to that. One is uh, after that, I, I suffered from a lot of depression too, because I was an athlete, you know, I was a pretty intense athlete and being able, not being able to participate in all the things I used to do, you know, I can't go out and play a pickup basketball game anymore. And you do, you kind of get in this area of you're like, Oh God, life sucks. What am I going to do? And I had to create something, an alternative. And I talk to people about that in what I teach with uh, the primal power method. And that is get out and do something. I mean, we all have limitations, but a lot of people use it as a crutch and excuse. So they say, oh, I can't do that. You know, I got a bad knee. I can't do that. You can. What's worse is if you do nothing, then do what you can. And I tell people one of my I have five principles of the primal power method, and one of them is do something today and every day. Make sure you're doing something. Um, don't sit around. Don't, don't kind of sulk. 
and you know say poor me i can't do this you can do it trust me humans the human body is pretty resilient so just get out there and do something and that's why i like biking is biking something almost everyone can do and you can do it as a family and it's just like walking i tell people walk well you can go bike too if you don't like walking around well get on your bike and go bike and the second part of that is you get to see things you'll never see and that's why I like biking. I used to ride motorcycles and stuff when I was younger, and I got away from that, first of all, because I had some pretty bad wrecks. But I, you know, I started getting older, and I said, you know, I probably want to get away from that. But with what I noticed is now I see a lot more. So when I get out on the bikes, I kind of learn my area and the surrounding areas a heck of a lot better. I found fishing holes, hunting spots on my bikes that I would have never seen in a car, ever. So it gets you out there, and not only that, but it's kind of that getting in touch with nature. Um, I think a bike is a great way to do it, even though it's a mechanical you know, instrument. What it does is it puts you in touch because you have to get off the bike. The bike and hike gets you in touch. You go, you know, I leave my bike or I'll drag it with me sometimes, but I'll leave it. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to take it. You know, a bear's not going to ride off with my bike. <laughs> you know, so I, I'll take off and, you know, I'll go hike and explore but I also know that I have my bike and I can go on trails and I can get further in. So part of it's uh, the third part would be the exploration, you know, getting in touch. And, you know, what's that? It's it's not the destination. It's the journey. I think bikes really, really enhance the journey. They really do. You cover so much ground. I mean, I can't ride a long way on my road bike, but, you know, max on it, I can get 60, 65 miles in a, you know, in a ride before I just cry from pain. I can't do it any longer. But that's a long way. That's a lot of miles on a bike. That's a lot of lot to cover and get to see. You know, in my experience, biking has been a nice, I guess, compromise would be the way that I say it. If you're if you're in a car, then you know you're on a road trip and everything goes flying by at sixty miles an hour. You, you really aren't seeing that much, even though you kind of get a feel for the lay of the land. When you slow down enough to uh, to be on a bike, you see a lot more. If you hike. You see even more, but yep. now you're so slow, you're, you're getting the details of, you know, every nuance of nature, which is a wonderful thing, and I encourage people to do it. But it's so slow that, like you said, you're kind of limited. The bike is a nice uh, kind of compromise. It allows you to get the distance in and still do it at a pace that allows you to experience nature around you. It really does, and I'm, I'm goofy. I actually carry my bikes in my truck all the time. I have one, at least one of my road bike or my mountain bike in my truck in the back of it. And, uh, there's been many times I've just pulled off the side of the road. I go, you know, if I got shorts and, you know, some sneakers, I can go ride, you know, for not my road bike. I do have click, click-ins for my road bike, you know, for my mountain bike, I just get on it and go ride for a little bit and explore an area that I see that I'm interested in. Well, I wouldn't have that opportunity otherwise, cause I'd have to walk or hike and I may not have enough time, you know, five miles hiking takes quite a while, five miles on a mountain bike. You can do that quickly. You know, if you're really making some good time, you can cover that in, you know, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the terrain. Well, if you're really moving, I shouldn't say 15. Well, you could, it depends. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it just gives you a different avenue. And I've been able, you know, through a camelback, I can carry, uh, you know, a small rifle, I can carry, you know, I break down, I have a small fishing pole that will fit in uh, my camelback, because I have a mule, which is kind of an in between, I'm sure you know, in between a, ca a small camelback and a a small backpack a large or a large camelback. It's kind of got a little bit of everything in it. 
but it won't weigh you down too much. I wouldn't take it on a longer trip if I had to carry a lot of food or anything, but I can get easily a day's worth of food in there and water, no problem, you know? So yeah, it makes it interesting. I always have, it's funny, I, I carry all kinds of stuff. My camelbacks in my truck too. You know, I've got bike tools and, and extra stuff and extra clothing. I'm a little goofy, I guess. I guess I'm prepared to go on an adventure at any given time. But <laughs> Well, it's nice you have the flexibility to, uh, to do that. Let's give our listeners a little bit of a context for where you're doing all this stuff. So you grew up in California, but right now um, you're in northeastern Washington, not far from Idaho and Canada. And yep. um, you're actually building an off-grid house there. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty unique guy in the health uh, industry in a sense because I consider myself, and that's why I'm primal, is it's all-encompassing. Primal is a lifestyle. So, yeah, I moved up here. I got sick of California. I'd been living in San Diego, um, Southern California, for the last seven years. And I just got burned out on it. I've lived in major cities throughout my government career. And I just had had enough. And I bought 20 acres up here in northeast Washington a little over two years ago. And decided I was going back to my roots and going back to small town living, hunting, fishing, and found found a great great lot at the top of a hill overlooking a lake for really cheap. People would be shocked. I'm documenting it too. I'm writing it. It's all on YouTube. I'll be writing a book about how to go off the grid and do it as a normal average person. It's affordable, and what I've learned along the way. But yeah, so I've kind of uh, I'm in the survivalist community. I've been on Prepper and Survivalist podcasts. So yeah, I'm a little hodgepodge of everything. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting lifestyle, to say the least. So a ton of adventure up here, for sure. I'm going to have a lifetime of adventure just up here in the quadrant I'm in. Oh yeah, you know, I think people that love adventure sports often love adventure sports because of the connection to nature and being able to get themselves set up in a place where they can just be more integrated with nature and enjoy it that much more. I'm sure that appeals to an awful lot of our audience. Oh, yeah. Uh, adventure sports and, and outdoors obviously go together. Um, you can't have an adventure sport playing football. You know, it's uh, it's got to be a little different. It's got to get you out there. Um, you know, adventure sport could uh, be many things. I mean, you could, like me, kind of make up your own as you go by using traditional adventure sports and then kind of crossing it into something else. It can be about anything, like you said, and it's fun just to kind of come up with new angles. One thing that uh, my family decided to do this weekend over the 4th of July weekend is um, my three sons and I liked to mountain bike. My wife and my daughter, not so much, but they still love to go out in nature. So we loaded the bikes on our four-wheel drive and we drove up to Treeline on a four-wheel drive road and had a picnic lunch and enjoyed the views of the 13ers and things all around us, which was, you know, a great experience in itself. But then we mountain biked down the four-wheel drive road so we could just enjoy the, the incredible rush of the downhill. And we got our adventure in doing that. Um, got more than we bargained for, though. <laughs> a freak mountain storm moved in. Oh, no. And we biked miles and miles of this four-wheel drive road. Um, in an icy, hard rain with lightning and thunder everywhere all around us. And it, it turned into how fast can you bike to, to get out of here scenario. I know what you're talking about. I yeah. caught myself more than once doing that, gotten stuck out in bad weather, gotten too far out. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. know it. Well, it was a little bit crazy, but you know what? We made a memory, and we did connect with nature and experience something that we wouldn't have had we stayed home. You know, had we not taken the bikes out and, and said, hey, let's go see what we can do. So 
we made a fantastic memory that's going to be with us for the rest of our lives. And boy, I tell you what, the scenery during a mountain thunderstorm is breathtaking. It's not necessarily safe, but wow, what an experience. Outdoor Pursuits is the adventure hub of Fort Lewis College. This comprehensive collegiate outdoor program not only offers an extensive outdoor equipment co-op that provides everything from tents to kayaks and ski gear to mountain bikes, but also offers a varied trip calendar that includes both instructional and recreational outings, from climbing some of the world's highest peaks to enjoying Durango's amazing hiking and mountain biking trails. Our experienced and friendly staff are always up for an adventure and are a great resource for those planning their own outings. Visit the Fort Lewis College website for more information on what Outdoor Pursuits is all about. And remember, adventure is not in the guidebook, and beauty is not on the map. Hello, race fans. Eric Risen here from YOLO Racing. We are a group of firefighters and friends who compete in the Baja 1000, the toughest off-road race in the world. Every year we do race, we go down and through our charities, Firefighters Without Borders and Vancouver Firefighters Charitable Society, we make donations to needy communities down the Baja through firefighting equipment such as Jaws of Life. Last year, we attempted to donate a completely outfitted pumper truck to a very needy town in La Mission. The truck has made it all the way down to San Diego and is waiting at the border. We are in desperate need of some more sponsorship money to get this vehicle across the border for brokerage fees. We do not have the funds to uh, finalize the transition into there. And the community that is expecting the fire truck is technically unprotected from any catastrophic event such as a wildfire. And we, we, I can't tell you enough how urgent it is to get this vehicle across. We are doing fundraising up here uh, through our Facebook page, through our website. We will be doing a couple other events, but however long it takes us means that's going to be a delay in getting that vehicle across. So if we can raise that money instantly, that vehicle will be donated instantly. So if you can, please help us look for the donation page on our website or our Facebook page, and that's YOLORacing.com or YOLO Racing Facebook page. Thank you very much for all your consideration and support. We appreciate it. I got caught in uh, the main st- major storms out here last year that took out um, a couple communities and tre- uh, took out a ton of trees. Actually, took out probably about five or six trees on my lot, and I got stuck in it. Not mountain biking, just stuck. I was working on the property, and it's scary. I mean, uh, you forget, you know, it's Southern California, it's 70 and nice every day pretty much. And, I, you know, I forgot, you know, I kind of that weather turns really quickly. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, tell us a story about an amazing experience that helped to hook you on this whole bike and hike idea. 
You know, it probably started by accident. And it happened, like you said, getting caught out somewhere unprepared. We, uh, Me and another guy went mountain biking in in the Palm Desert, Palm Springs area. There's a very remote trail. And I'm trying to think. I want to say it's 35 miles, roughly. And we didn't have a good map. And we got a little bit of a late start because I blew a tire on my truck, ran over a bolt. So we had to change the tire before we left. And all we brought was, you know, basic mountain biking clothing. We didn't have any waterproof gear, had enough water. And I don't think we even brought anything but maybe a couple protein bars to eat and uh, not realizing. And we got out there, no cell phone coverage. It goes away and we're all no big deal, you know. But we did, after a while, about five hours into it, we go, we don't know where we're at. We're out in the middle of the desert, and we can't see anything. No one's out there. No one's on these trails. We didn't run into one person the entire time, and it starts to get dark, and it starts to rain, and it starts turning into freezing rain, and I'm like, oh, no. You know, we're in deep. We have no idea where we're going. Well, we ended up having to hike out the last probably three miles because we couldn't ride our bikes. We couldn't see. Um, We didn't have proper lighting. And that was actually probably the first time I learned bike and hike because I had no choice. I had to drag my bike for miles to get out of there. And it was in a pretty, uh, you know, it was one of those, if we wouldn't have made it out, there was a good chance we could have died. I mean, because it was that cold. It, I think it dropped into the 30s that night. And we had shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah. That was it. That's right. And uh, yeah, that was probably the adventure right there. And then we, uh, when we popped out, we're nowhere near our vehicle. We weren't any, you know, nowhere close because we separated our vehicles. We had to separate one. His was down at the end and mine was at the beginning. Yeah, we we had to push our bikes probably after that another couple miles behind houses. And we didn't know we we didn't know where we were. We had no (laughs) idea. We got lucky. We found our cars and we're like, oh, man, that or found his car. We were like, we were lucky on that one. But that would be a weird way of it starting is because I never was a fan of, uh, you know, pushing your bike or hiking, but it was also rough terrain with a lot of cactus and a lot of single track. So we ended up hiking a lot of that too. I'd probably say total, we probably hiked close to five, six miles of it. I know that that's usually how people get in trouble is they, they set out to do something that they think is, you know, involves one type of gear, right? And it turns into something else when the weather changes or they get caught behind their outside of their time window. It's pretty common. Actually, I did a, a podcast Oh, several weeks back about emergency shelter and insulation and how you can take care of yourself when you get caught in those sorts of scenarios. And uh, I would recommend our listeners, if if you're not well versed in this sort of stuff, maybe go back and give it a listen because these sorts of scenarios do claim lives every year, especially in the mountain states. It's pretty common. So it's good to know what to do if you find yourself ill-prepared. Well, Gary, since you moved from California up to Northwest Washington, I know that that's a completely different climate. And a lot of people know Western Washington. They know the Cascades and, of course, Seattle and, and all of that. But what is Northeast Washington like? Um, it's pretty varied. Uh, there's a, The good thing is there's a lot of logging roads, which are great for mountain biking, especially when you get old, because um, they tend to be a little smoother, a little easier to ride. Um, but there's also animal trails. And there, it's hard. There's not a lot of mountain biking trails far as listed, I've noticed. I've gone searching through all the typical mountain biking sites that I've used for years, and there's nothing really out. 
Um, there's stuff on in Idaho in the Priest River area because technically half the town I'm connected to. I'm out away from the town, probably 15 miles, but I'm connected to it by you know by zip code, so I have to belong to that town because um, closest one. But the town is actually on the Idaho border. There's quite a bit of mountain biking in in Idaho. I just haven't had a chance to get there and go up through there. But I'm mainly on, like I said, logging roads, old logging roads, or currently used logging roads, and old uh, animal or current animal trails. So that's what I've been using primarily. But it can go from, you know, there's some flat land and, and you know fields and and large open areas to mountainous. So it's you can get a little bit of everything actually. And I'm close to Canada. I need to get up in Canada and do some mountain biking too. So it sounds like a fun area to explore. Oh, there's so much that I don't know if you've heard of that show uh, called Woodsman on History. It's a uh, about guys who live in tree houses off the grid. Well, it's only probably 20 miles north of me where all these guys live. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely some adventure out here. Um, and you know, I have friends ask me. I go, so what do you? You got to be bored, right? I go, no, it's overwhelming. I go, there's so many things to do. I don't even know where to start. You know, I, I there's days when I want to do everything. Um, luckily, I'm staying at a lake, the lake that I overlook right now. There's a RV, small little private RV park in there. So I pretty much go fishing every day. So I can't complain about that. Caught a nice little two pound trout last night that I plan to eat tonight. So uh, yeah, there's there's so much. I mean, the hunting is phenomenal. And that's why I bought my property. It's actually prime time hunting. I've gotten through my game camera. I've seen everything. Moose, you know, whitetail. I haven't seen any mule deer yet, but uh, elk. Haven't seen uh, mountain lion, turkeys, wild turkeys. I've kicked up some uh, grouse and some dove. So there's a little bit of everything. You know, you mentioned earlier that you've run into some of this wildlife while mountain biking and uh, even moose and things like that. That must be something. Yeah, you know, I forgot, yeah, that you glad you remind me. I forgot about that. Yeah, in, in California, I was being stalked by a mountain lion one time, which was really scary. Um, I didn't know it. I, I felt something, and you know how you hear that. You, you always feel it first. Right. And something just didn't seem right. I could feel a presence of some sort, and finally I stopped, and sure enough, I heard it. And I went, what was that? And eventually I, I just kept riding, but kept looking over my shoulder. And I finally caught a glimpse of the mountain lion walking. It, it lost interest. The only reason I saw it is because it's heading back up the hill away from me. But it must have been stalking me for a little bit. Probably just curious. Thank God I didn't jump on my head because that's what they like to do to mountain bikers is jump on your back and grind on your head. Um, now, there's been a few people killed that way, uh, having mountain lions jump on their back while they're mountain biking. Um, I know one lady was in California, so I actually I, I travel uh, with a couple knives. Carry one on my uh, on my pack, so it's on the front. I have a, a folding knife there, and then I have a diving fixed blade knife uh, attached to the frame front frame between on uh, right in front of me on my mountain bike. And then uh, I'll be honest, I usually carry a Glock forty compact with me. Especially if I'm out in the wilderness, it's on me. I don't carry it in the bag. It's it's literally on me because <laughs> you're not going to have any chance. People go, "How do you mountain bike with that?" I go, "You, you learn to adjust. <laughs> you you wear normal, you know, uh, shorts with a belt, and you just make sure because that moose, we we scared each other. I was riding and I was on a, a logging road, 
and he was off to the it was a cow and or a bull and he was off uh, to my left and I just didn't see him. I came around the corner and he was eating right on the the tree line and road line and he freaked out, freaked me out. He took off and uh I rode past and I went, you know, hearts racing and I went, "Well, you know what? Let me go back. Let me go see if I can find this guy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm armed. I got enough on me. I'm not stupid. But obviously, moose are very dangerous, too. I mean, I don't, if you have no experience out in the wild, don't go up on and try and approach a moose. It's usually, you know, not the smartest thing to do sometimes. But the moose out here are a little different because uh, the hunting, you can't, you can only get one tag a lifetime. So you can only hunt moose and kill one moose in your entire life. That's it in Washington State. So they're, they're not hunted as frequently as like Alaska or up in Canada. So they tend to be a little more docile. And so I went out there and sure enough, he was hanging around, had his head down, eating some uh, some shrubs. And I got up to about 10 feet on him, um, 10, 15. That was about close as I wanted to get. I had a couple I had trees between me and him. It wasn't open. I would never get that close open. And it was fun, though. I mean, it turned it turned a ex- uh, kind of scary incident into an exciting one. I got the video. I need to put it on my uh, Facebook page, and I just haven't I haven't had time. But yeah, it uh, fun adventures like that that you would never experience otherwise. I mean, if you're tromping around on foot, you you you'll run into some stuff like that. But they hear you, and they usually take off. Mountain bike, I was on him so quick, um, and I was pedaling, so there wasn't any racket coming out of my bike, so he couldn't even hear me probably until I got right up on him. So yeah, fun times. Yeah, that's a little different. Uh, Most people that mountain bike are in areas where moose probably are not a consideration, (laughs) areas that are a little bit less wild perhaps. So that's a really different thought to think that you you actually need to carry a firearm just for your own protection. That's another level of, of adventure sport that we don't often hear on our podcast. Well, and and I've learned this because uh, I mountain bike alone a lot because I just like to, and most people don't want to go where I want to go, and they don't want to be out for as long as I like to go out for. And I actually used to mountain bike in a very remote part in, in San Diego that was backed up to the wild animal park in San Diego, out in Escondido by where I lived. Well, that out there, it's out there for a reason. It, there's a lot of wildlife out there besides in the park. And I learned quickly that if you're not armed when you go that far out, you're asking for it. I mean, you're really asking for it, especially with that cougar. That wasn't too far away, that mountain lion. And also, you just never know what you're going to pop up on. And I've popped up on a lot of wildlife, mountain biking. And it's just one of those things, you know, a, a, a bear. I mean, a bear, moose, and people understand. You can't outrun those things. They're, they're going to catch you, and they're going to catch you quickly. Even on a mountain bike, you're not going to outrun one of those. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you're not going to – and people fail, forget that humans are slow. We're one of the slowest animals on the planet. So you're not going to escape. And uh, for me, yeah, I'm very proficient, and I, I carry things that I can protect myself. And that's why I have knives that are reachable too. And those knives have come in handy. I actually wrecked on my mountain bike when I was using uh, these cages that I used to use back in the day. And I actually twisted so hard and got caught so hard, I actually locked my foot into the cage. And I had to cut myself out. I had to actually cut the strap on the cage in order to extricate myself from my wreck. Otherwise, I would have been stuck. My leg was twisted up so that I couldn't get out of my bike. Um, 
So, you know, it's smart to have tools with you and carry things with you. And, you know, I carry more than enough water. Uh, you know, I always carry something, you know, to snack on. I'll throw an apple or some almonds in there or, you know, protein bar, something jerky, just to make sure that if something happens, I can at least get by for a while or if I have to hike out. I've been very fortunate. I rode, I don't know about you, but I've been riding. Uh, I did this for a long time till I got this newer mountain bike. I rode uh, thornless tubes with slime. Right. And, yeah. and mountain bikers hate that stuff. I actually had it on my road bike too. They make them for road bikes and they're harder to find the tubes, but they make them and they don't like adding weight. And I'm all, well, I'm not racing. You know, I'm out here on an adventure when I'm riding, getting exercise. That's what I'm doing. So I've never gotten a flat and gotten stuck, but now I use tubeless and, uh, it, it's a little scarier cause I have had some flats and luckily, though, I use uh, the stuff you put in there. I can't remember the main name of it. It's just basically latex paint that will plug the hole. Um, but, yeah, the, the the tubeless are definitely a little riskier. I've never been stuck with the uh, thornless with the slime ever. And yeah. I've punctured them pretty bad. I've ran over nails and stuff. Um, I rode a bike that had been adapted to tubeless, and it didn't really have the best tires for tubeless because the bead was a little bit soft. And yep. sure enough, I rolled a bead on the tubeless, went over the handlebars, <laughs> I had to pick up all the pieces, and I did not have everything I needed to reset, you know, the tire. And so, long story short, I had to hike about two miles out carrying the bike. So, <laughs> stuff happens. You know, it's it's really interesting, though. Most people that mountain bike aren't really out exploring unexplored areas. They're on mountain biking trails somewhere where they kind of have an expectation of what they might encounter. But what you're kind of defining for us is that you're in a remote area where you're exploring areas that are full of, of wildlife. And oh, yeah. it's not a well-established trail. It's not like you're going to say, oh, I have a flat. Well, someone else will be by in the next 60 seconds, and maybe they'll have a pump. You know, I, What you're talking about is having to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, and prepared for anything. Well, and that's what happens a lot is I never I, – and I do this purposefully – is I never see another person usually when I mountain bike. I, even when I road bike, I try to avoid because I'm trying to get away. That's the whole point. You know, I'm out to relax and kind of clear my head. And I try and go on very remote areas. And yeah, I, with the mountain bike, I would say I'm very rarely on a mountain bike trail anymore. I, I just find places to ride. And there's trails all through here because it's heavily logged. It's heavily, you know, it's a logging area and a, a huge hunting community and a lot of wildlife. So there's trails everywhere. They're just not mountain bike trails and horses too. Horse trails are tough to ride. I know, I'm sure you know too. They're rough. But you can get on them, and what they usually do is they lead you into another trail. And actually, I found a fishing hole that way. I was on a, a horse trail about a month ago, and it led me down into a creek. And then it broadened out into actual uh, hunting trails. So I was riding on – I never rode on a mountain bike trail the entire day, even though technically there could have been some around, but they, they weren't. And that's what people you know usually do too is – for me, I like the adventure. You know, I just, I don't, I don't want to ride on mountain biking trails because I know other people are going to be riding on the mountain biking trails. And then it gets congested. And especially in Surrey, California, I, I never rode on the weekends. That was my rule. I would only ride during the weekdays because uh, the weekends, it was just chaos. You know, there's a new sport that's developing right now. And I mean, it's been around for a while, but you're actually one of the innovators, whether you know it or not. Um, the mountain biking 
manufacturers are starting to produce what they call adventure bikes. And they're a little bit of a hybrid between your pure mountain bike and maybe more of a, of a touring bike. They're set up for bike packing so they can mm-hmm. handle panniers and things and go on the rough trails. And more and more people are starting up that as an adventure sport where they're doing just what you're doing. They're getting away from the mountain bike trails and the more heavily traveled stuff. And they're getting way out there doing multiple day trips, you know, carrying their gear with them. And it's kind of fun. Um, there are sections of all of the major through hiking trails in the nation that are open to mountain bikes and that sort of thing. I've seen people well above treeline on the Continental Divide Trail cruising along and exploring these mountains in a way that few people would imagine. Um, so it's kind of neat. Yeah, you know, you know who does that is um, there's actually some of the Ironman competitors use those bikes. Depending, I've seen not those like high end professionals, but I've seen guys using those those hybrids sure. as their bike. We interviewed Steve Fastbinder just several days ago, actually, and he is a, a real avid biker and pack rafter. And Specialized has now sponsored him to share his experiences, actually, with some of his bike packing experiences. So it, it's pretty cool. That oh, episode that is, is cool. fifty seven. If the listeners want to go back and hear more about that. Well, gosh, I didn't know I was pioneering anything. I just, my my goofy adventure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really fun. Well, hey, I know that health is a big subject for you. And mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to mention is that people that are adventure sports enthusiasts, they understand that they are taking responsibility for their own safety, for their own health. I think they're kind of more health-minded, perhaps, than the general population, because they have to be. I mean, after all, adventure sports, you have to be in pretty good shape to enjoy a lot of these This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. Colorado Mountain Club members get the most out of the Colorado summers. We summit 14ers, enjoy relaxing fly fishing excursions, climb thousand foot rock faces, backpack through wilderness areas, explore the culture of Europe, raft through the Grand Canyon, and so much more. The Colorado Mountain Club teaches you the skills you need to safely maximize living in such an awesome outdoor playground, as well as connects you to thousands of other adventure-loving mountaineers. Founded in 1912, the Colorado Mountain Club acts as a gateway to the mountains for novices and experts alike. It's the perfect time to sign up for a membership. For more information, go to cmc.org. That's cmc.org.
you mentioned earlier that you kind of pulled away from the the standard medical doctor approach and that even the holistic or natural approaches to health had pluses and minuses as well. And so you've kind of taken responsibility for your own health and developed this primal power method, a lifestyle that um, allows people to get out more and do more. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's um, a concept. Paleo is part of the diet within my primal power method, but it's not quite the same. I tweak it a little bit. Paleo, the easiest way to explain it is no grains, no dairy, no beans, and no processed sugar, and even uh, you know natural sugar at very low. And I take the, that diet and I tweak it to where you can have some dairy, long as it's you know from grass-fed cows, not administered antibiotics or anything, and preferably raw. And also, you know, you can have if you want some grains. I tell people I prefer that you don't. But some people, as a treat, every once in a while, as long as you get an heirloom grain that's been, you know, either soaked or sprouted before it's been processed into the food that you're going to be eating, I go, that's okay on occasion. And even the dairy, it's not meant to consume dairy every single day. It's it's intermittent. You know, if you want to have a couple slices of cheese here and there, that's fine. You know, you want to have a glass of milk or or cream in your coffee, that's fine. And with that, it's because the paleo diet is an anti-inflammatory elimination diet. That's the easiest way to explain it, even though the paleo people don't quite get it. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> they don't even know their diet because some of them don't have any background in health. But that's what it is. So what you're doing with the paleo diet, you're eliminating these, these foods that have natural toxins, such as grains. You know, grains carry a lot of natural toxins in, as a defense mechanism. They're not meant to be digested by humans. They're meant to grow into another plant. So that's why they travel through our bodies and they come out in our and animal excrement. That's the whole point is they end up in a fertilizer patch and they grow. But they do not want to be consumed usually, most of them. So what they do is they'll irritate your digestive tract. And then gluten, you know, is a, a protein that will irritate your digestive tract and also is very sticky substance so it can cause cognitive issues and it can cross the blood-brain barrier. So that's what the primal power method as far as the diet is consists of, but it also consists of natural movements, getting in touch with nature and changing your lifestyle. So the survivalist kind of prepper side also evolves into the primal lifestyle as I've devised it and self-sufficiency, you know, not relying upon other people to you know, make decisions for you, getting away from that and getting more in touch with the things that truly make humans happy and also make us healthy. And people go, well, how does that work on as an athlete? And I go, well, we've all were raised, you know, eat carbs, eat carbs, load up, carb load, fill off those glycogen stores. That's a load of crap. That was the food industry basically telling us to consume and the cheapest food to produce grow, produce, and turn into another food item, processed food item, are grains. Grains and, you know, soy and corn. That's all we eat anymore. Well, it's high in carbohydrate. It's high in inflammatory because it's basically basically sugar. All complex carbohydrates end up as a simple sugar. That's the way it works. So our bodies don't really know the difference between, say, if you were to eat a whole wheat piece of bread and if you were to consume two teaspoons of sugar. Well, yeah, the process of those two, two teaspoons of sugar will be quicker, but the end product of that piece, that slice of wheat bread, 
will end up being those two, two teaspoons of sugar in the end. It'll end up in your bloodstream the exact same way. Um, and that's a principle I tell people. And sugar is highly oxidative, which means it's highly inflammatory, causes a lot of free radicals, causes you an inability to repair chronic inflammation by over-consuming sugar. Sugar is toxic to the human body, um, especially in large amounts. That's why we're, we use we can store unlimited amounts of fat, but we only have a small amount of sugar in the form of a glycogen that we can store. And, you know, m- most athletes, we even athletes, you can only store about 14 to 16 ounces of glycogen in your liver and muscles. That's it. Once you get past that, it stores as fat. Well, we are primarily meant to burn fat. So if we're burning sugar all the time, look at it as um, if you're burning a high octane fuel a dirty fuel even, as opposed to burning a clean, slower fuel. And that's what fat does. So I always, I work with athletes um, and I train them that if you burn fat as you're meant to primarily, you actually have longer endurance. And people are fascinated by that and go, trust me on this one. Because now you're not relying primarily on glycogen stores and free, free flowing glucose. And not only that, but protein and fat can be turned into glucose through gluconeogenesis, and most uh, health experts never teach that. The human okay. body is, yeah. Say that word again because you broke up and it was an important oh. word. <laughs> gluconeogenesis, and it is a process in the human body of converting protein and fat into glucose. So technically, you do not need to consume any carbohydrates. The human body is geared to survive purely on protein and fat. Now, do I recommend that? No, that's an extreme. But for athletes, I've tested this on myself and with people I work with, is that you recover quicker, uh, you have longer endurance, and far less inflammation, far less, if you follow kind of this paleoprimal twist. And because most of the bad information out there is that you can't be a highly competitive athlete and eat the paleo diet or primal diet. That is so false. I've tested my own body as a guy in his mid-40s, I've rode my bike 60-plus miles, getting off once to go to the bathroom real quickly, and all I carried on me was water. I didn't bonk. I didn't, after I got off, I didn't instantly crash and have to go to sleep. I wasn't ravenous, and I did it two days in a row, actually. So the first day I did 60. The second day I did 70. That was far as I could go. That's my max. I cannot do any more than that physically because of my back. And each time... I was fine. No problems. And that was because I'm a fat burner. I burn fat primarily. With glycogen, you, with that 14 to 16 ounce storage, you can. that's about two and a half hours of moderate exercise. And if you're a, a sugar burner like a lot of endurance athletes are today, that's why they're pounding goo, you know, eating, you know, big, you know, peanut butter and jelly, big wad sandwiches as they're running or competing. Because they can't access those fat stores because the more carbohydrate you, you, you consume, it actually inhibits your body from accessing fat as a fuel source. You know, I'm not a health expert, but I have uh, had some experiences that parallel this, Gary, so I just thought I might share. These are just anecdotal, of course, but um, my understanding is that when your body is in a carbohydrate burning mode, then it's really not burning fats. and when you get into the fat burning mode, it's a little different biochemistry and yep. uh, then you don't need the carbs. So I think people have to make the switch to experience what you're talking about. And personal story here, sorry, I don't want to drag on about uh, my life, but 
I uh, lived most of my life not knowing that I was fairly severely gluten intolerant. And so when I was finally diagnosed and I realized what the problem was, then I quit eating grains. So the carbs were gone, right? So I went paleo just because that's what I had to do. I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> and people might say, what? Paleo is supposed to help you lose weight. Well, I was so skinny before. The 30 pounds was actually welcome. But the problem was I was not properly digesting any of my foods. Mm-hmm. And when I got rid of the grains and I started actually digesting foods, then I have cut the amount of food I eat by two-thirds, and I'm much healthier, and my energy now is more steady. It used to be that I had to be constantly eating, constantly eating, especially when I was climbing 14ers or doing a longer endurance hike. I had to fuel myself constantly, which uh, was kind of sickening, actually. You know, by the end of the day, I just like, ugh. Yeah, it's all the sugar, too, um, because, again, it's getting processed as sugar. And with that, yeah, it's just you have to flip, change your paradigm. And it's hard. And people, I teach it to where you don't want to just do it overnight because it takes a while for your body to adapt in order to be able to process. And that was a good point is the more carbohydrates you eat as well, it actually inhibits your ability to produce hydrochloric acid. Well, hydrochloric acid is used to break down protein. So people who have eaten a high-carb diet their entire life, once they start incorporating healthy protein, which usually includes fats if you're eating animal protein, which you should be, well, you can't process it. Your body isn't producing enough hydrochloric acid to break down the protein. So people can get very sick from that because then the food, the actual meat, will start to ferment and rot inside your stomach because it can't pass through your stomach quick enough because it's sitting. Um and that will cause a lot of problems. And I always tell people there's there's a detox level. And it takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months for your body to kind of get rid of the cravings for sugar as well. Sugar is highly, highly addictive to humans. And it, it works very similarly as far as uh, the neuropathways and the, the chemicals as heroin and cocaine in the brain. Sugar does. That's how we become addicted. And that's what the food industry caught on to a long time ago. Keep feeding them carbs and they can't get off it. They have to continue to eat. And you'll see that. You'll eat all the time and you're always hungry. I eat two meals a day now, sometimes one, and that's it. And people are shocked. They're all, how do you do what you do? How do you exercise and do all this stuff? I go, because my body is actually now processing and I'm eating energy-dense food that it can turn itself into energy. That's what metabolism is. It's taking food and converting that into cellular energy. That's what your metabolism does. The more efficient your metabolism is, the more efficient you are at taking that food and turning it into energy. Well, you know, this flies in the face of the uh, energy drink and energy bar industry. I mean, they're out there saying power up with with our specialized, highly processed, highly sugared, caffeinated junk. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. And so a lot of adventure sports people out there are probably like, oh, I've never heard of this. Are you you guys saying that these bars and things aren't the way to go? And I, I would attest to it. They're not the way to go. It, nope. Even climbing 14ers, I, I reach for one of those energy bars and I lose energy. And yeah. so it's been fascinating now that I am more on the, the fat burning diet that you describe, you know, the non-inflammatory diet. I have energy. I, I can hike you know, for hours and hours and hours without having to stop and eat. And it used to be that I had to eat continuously to the point 
that I, I struggled to get enough breath when I was on an aggressive hike because I always had food in my mouth. Yeah. Oh, I used to eat in the gym. <laughs> I would literally eat while I was working out. And yeah, the, those days and all of the, the other things that go along with it, the eczema, the asthma, the allergies, and that's the biggest one. Actually, me and another uh, podcast were talking about that, that he had shifted to the paleo diet. And what we were talking about is allergies. I, I had lifelong, horrific allergies. I mean, horrible. I mean, one day I lived in New Mexico and they were at the worst when I lived in New Mexico. I took eight allergy pills in a day. One day it was so bad and I had no effect and I didn't realize till later on in life what was going on. What happens too is by eating all of the grains as far as getting gluten and also all the protectants that are in grains through uh, phytic acid and lectins that it breaks down your immune system. So as you age, it gets worse and I work with this with clients too is when you hit about 35, that's when it kicks in. That's when you really start to notice it because your body is just wearing out. Your immune system is toast. And I actually was able to have basically no allergies now. No, I don't, I, I'm in the middle of the forest. I don't sneeze. I don't have any issues. Like, you know, I used to not be able to get around cats, horses. My eyes would just swell shut. And that was an amazing thing to hear other people talk about that too is those aggravating allergies and sinus infections and colds, all of a sudden it just goes away. And it doesn't go away immediately. It took about two to three years of me changing my diet in order for this to happen, but it was my immune system repairing itself. And I tell people, though this lifestyle is not for the people looking for that magic pill. And first of all, there never will be that magic pill in our lifetime. So people need to wake up. It's not going to happen. You have to take charge and take responsibility for your own health. We spend nearly $3 trillion a year in healthcare. We spend more money per person than any developed country in the world by three, three times the amount, and we are one of the sickest nations in the world. If that doesn't tell you that we're being sold a whole line of BS through the food and drug and health industries, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, they have to keep us on the treadmill because it makes money. It's all about money. And people think I wear a tin hat and I go, no, I was there. I've been inside. I'll tell you right now, the food, drug industry, health industry, it's run by lobbyists and special interest, flat, flat out. They don't give two craps about your health. It's about keeping you on the treadmill of making them money, period. Mm. You know, part of what we really promote with the Adventure Sports Podcast is for people to go out and do adventure sports. You know, we say it enlarges our lives and it does. Just point blank, you're going to live a happier life, a healthier life. You're making amazing memories that will be more valuable to you than any kind of a movie you could watch TV or or a piece of junk that you would buy to try to, to feed this materialistic idea that we have. If you can get out and move and have adventures and experiences, then it opens up your whole world. And a lot of Americans, especially in the last 20 years, it's just I can't believe how much it's gone downhill – but they're living on this high-carb diet, this high-sugar, um, constant-eat that's required when you're stuck in that, that horrible diet, and they don't have enough energy to get out and to move. And so they're yeah. being robbed of adventure sports. They're being robbed of life experiences that they're meant to have. I mean, the human body is designed for movement, exercise, yeah. to be active. And you know what? It's not just a matter of physical health. It's mental health as well. So. Oh. 
Absolutely. We have to get off the couch. We have to quit looking at the screens all the time. We have to go outside and move. And maybe what you're telling us here is that you've unlocked one of the secrets to making that possible. Changing the diet, getting your energy back. Well, not only that, but I made it simple. And one of my biggest frustrations when I was changing everything and researching and and trying to figure it out was that it was very complicated. And there's a lot of people with their own kind of skew on things that is pretty incorrect um, in the natural health world. And I've thrown a few darts here and there at a few of them um, because they're just hucksters. And what they do is they confuse people. And I went, okay, if if I can get duped and I can get confused and I'm really into this and I was on the inside, I went, I've got to figure out a way to explain it to people to make it easy. That's where my book series came from. It wasn't, I intended to create and write books. It was one of those I went, you know what? I'm going to do this for me. I need to put this down on paper because I think I have the simplest approach in order from my experiences to explain it to people. And my books are only 150 pages or less. I make sure it's a rule I have. Keep it short. Keep it simple. It's not that hard. Once you get it figured out and you have the right information, being healthy is actually pretty easy and it's actually pretty cheap in the long run. But you need the information first. And I tell the people the whys without getting lost in the weeds and too much science. I give them enough science to understand why they need to change their lifestyle and their diet and why, you know, why you'll feel better in the end. And then I give them the how to's. So I combine it together and explain it in a way that every person can get it. I mean, heck, I've, I want to make sure my mom could understand it. You know, I'm my friends, my family. And so I wrote it to them. I wasn't writing it for me in the end. I was writing it for other people in order to share, but to explain it in a simple, rational way without extremes. Because a lot of stuff today is extremes. You know, you have to jump right in, change your diet right away. And I don't teach that. I teach take it in steps. You know, take a small piece every day. Keep progressing. You know, keep heading towards your goals and you'll get there. If you try and do it, go from where we're at today which is an incredibly unhealthy nation, and try and change it overnight, well, that's when people fail. They burn out. They don't feel good. Going from where we're at to being healthy, there's a painful phase in there. It's a detoxification of your body, and it does not feel good. It feels horrible. You feel like you have the flu. You feel like you're going to die at times. Some people have told me that, especially because sugar is so highly addictive. But once you get past that point within the first 30 days, I tell people, you're going to feel the best you've ever felt. And then it just keeps getting better, you know, as you keep doing it. And, uh, you know, and I think that's the part that I try and be as I'm on, I try and be the guy of honesty. You know, that's the problem with the health world too, is there's a lot of dishonest people out there and I could make a heck of a lot more money selling people stuff they don't need, you know, have a whole chain of books. But my attitude is, you know what, I'm going to sell you what you need. It's stuff that I take everything I sell. I take that's how I came up with it. <laughs> so, you know, you're not, I'm not giving you anything that I don't do myself or I don't have other clients, have my clients do. Well, tell us, Gary, how can people learn more information? We're running a little bit short on time for the podcast. So how can people get more information about your approach, this lifestyle, Primal Power? Yeah, the Primal Power Method, it's on, I have my own website. It's uh, www.primalpowermethod.com. My books are sold on my website and on Amazon, iTunes, and in Kindle version. Um, All my products are on my website, all the links to my social media. And if you come on my website and you sign up for my newsletter, 
you'll get four four free gifts that I give you, but they're kind of the introduction to the primal power method and some of the tools that will help you. And if you start on my start here page, I kind of break down what the primal power method is all about. I'll give you all the basics and explain everything to you. And then my background's on there as well, so you can read a little bit more about me. And I have a ton of blog posts about everything from off the grid, nutrition, exercise, survivalism, you name it. It's on their product reviews. I just did a really nasty product review on a company that aggravated me. And that's a new thing I'd like to share is I've kind of, I'm I'm on the fence on this one, but I may start doing bad company, bad product reviews a lot more and have people send them to me. I'm a little torn on that one, but I've been getting really aggravated. I know other people have too about this lack of American exceptionalism anymore and American companies just ripping you off and it pisses me off and they give you bad customer service. They, they charge you an extreme amount for a product made in China and then they won't even fix it if it breaks. So I have a problem with that. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Curtis? <laughs> you know what? I think that there are ways that we as a society can have social accountability and when people reward companies that are doing right things, then those companies hopefully will, will rise to the top. And I uh, I know there are a lot of shysters out there. Um, we got to guard against that. And I think that's kind of become a theme for the show so far today. It's taking responsibility for your own health and taking responsibility for the products that you buy and taking responsibility for yeah. – you know, all these sorts of uh, the lifestyle that you want to live. And I just want people to hear this one message that you can win your life back. If you're one of these people who used to be active or maybe you've never been active and you know that <laughs> what's going on right now is just not working, you can win your life back. And uh, you can do that through changing the way you eat. You can do that through changing how you spend your time. You can do that eventually, through doing some amazing adventure sports that will just provide you with so much joy in your life. So, you know, that's where it is for me. I agree. Uh, the only reason I was going to do it is just to help people. Um, I put all the good companies on my website already, all the partners and people who I find or products I find, I, I list them on my website. Um, but the bad ones, gosh, it just lately, I usually am pretty good at picking them. But recently, I've gotten a couple bad ones. And it's aggravating I think it's worthwhile. It doesn't usually help to rant, but I think that we need to be honestly telling truth when we run into these sorts of scenarios. It's worthwhile for all of us to hold companies accountable. So, yeah, I don't want it to be my focus by any stretch. Um, you know, my primary focus is helping people with the the, the first step in its nutrition. And I'll, I'll leave with this. And I, I talk about this in the survivalist and uh, prepper community a lot. Is that it all starts with your health. If you can't get your health back everything else kind of falls apart. And you can prep all you want, but if you're prepping but not healthy, you're not prepping. You know what I mean? And if you're not self-sufficient and not, or if you're trying to be self-sufficient and not healthy, it always goes first step. And I tell people squaring away your nutrition and moving is like the first step to taking your life back because you can directly control that without any influence. You know what I mean? You can go out tomorrow and, and do that. You know, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need anything but the actual will to go do it. That's it. Yeah, very well said. Well, thank you very much, Gary, for being on the show today and for giving us a little bit of insight into this, I'm going to call it an alternative approach to eating, right? Because in yeah, the United States, really this is kind of controversial stuff, you know? Oh, 
the food industry hates it. The medical community hates it because it, it does one thing. I always tell people this too. A healthy person doesn't spend a lot of money on health. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. if you're unhealthy, you spend a ton of money over your lifetime trying to stay somewhat healthy and you'll never be healthy. You're always going to be sick. It's never going to happen. You're just chasing, you're chasing something you'll never obtain if you don't get in and change your lifestyle. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. Well, Gary, thanks again for being on the show. And for all of our listeners out there, you can find more information about this alternative approach to life by going to primalpowermethod.com. And remember to tune in to the Adventure Sports Podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can learn more about how to get out there and have some fun. like to be a guest on a future show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button.